Hey everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of My First Sketch at MyFirstSketch.com. I'm Josh Hyam. You can email me at josh at myfirstsketch.com with any questions, thoughts, recommendations, anything you need to know, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. You know, unless it goes into the spam folder. That happens sometimes. You can like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash myfirstsketch. And like any podcast says, it'd be really cool if you rate it five stars and leave a review on whatever platform you get the podcast. Toronto Sketchfest is still happening up there with a ton of great shows happening all week long. TorontoSketchFest.com for all the details on what's happening, but we're going to switch gears and talk about more of my friends. This time, we're heading to Washington, D.C. Today's guest is Bobby Cohote, currently a member of Lots of Feelings, based in Washington, D.C. Lots of Feelings will be performing, along with Amanda Zeller, based out of New York, at Bad Medicine Presents this Saturday, March 18th, at the D.C. Improv in the Lounge for two shows at 7 p.m. and 9.30 Tickets are available at dcimprov.com. Bobby's first sketch is called Petrol File. I read the role of Mike, a driver stopping at a gas station to get a fill-up. Bobby reads the role of Pete, and then the owner. So let's go to the sketch. I guess I can get gas here. As Mike turns off his car, Pete pops up next to his window. Holy shit! Well, hello there. Welcome to Pete's Petrol Pump. I'm Pete. I'll be doing your pumping. Wow, I didn't know gas stations still had attendance. That's pretty cool. Pete slowly rubs the exterior frame of the Buick. Well, we like to stay to tradition at this here gas station. I didn't know they still had this model in mustard yellow. You're a lucky man. Oh, wow. Thanks, I guess. Does it cost any extra? Uh, I don't usually do this for first-timers. But for this tasty Buick, it's free. Oh, that's so kind of you. Sounds great. You can just fill it up with a regular. It's a deal. As Pete skips around the car to the gas pump, it's revealed that he is wearing only a crop top thong and a sweatshirt tied around his waist. This is just a little ditty I learned from my babysitter last week. Pete starts dancing and uh, staring directly at Mike. What the? Pete skips near the passenger side of the car, grinding against it as the tasted, tasted Buick. Mm-mm. Pete continues dancing around to the back of the car. He grinds up against it. Mike follows Pete, looking more and more shocked as he looks at him. And then looks away continuously. He tries to yell over the music. You know, I'm actually in a bit of a rush if you just fill the car up. You can't rush love, Buttercup. Pete makes eye contact with the gas pump and grabs it. He starts massaging the gas pump and handle. Mike is uncomfortable, but keeps his composure and stares forward, hoping his tank will be filled. Pete prances around the front of the car so Mike can watch. He grabs the gas pump with both hands, massages it a bit, Acts like he's about to fill the car and instead licks the tip. Mike immediately jumps up from the car frustrated. Listen, I appreciate the help, but I really need to get going. Will you please stop? Pete immediately shuts the music off. Pete is shocked that Mike raised his voice but tries not to appear upset. Pete begins to cry and starts to fill the tank. (laughs) I'm a fool. I just wanted your first time at Pete's to be special. Both men stare at each other awkwardly. Mike feels bad and walks over to Pete to console him. Listen, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have snapped. This whole gas station attendant thing is new for me. It's a very creative thing to do. You're just saying that. You hated it. No, I mean it. I really liked it. Uh, Mike pulls out his wallet, sticks his hand out to pay Pete. Pete is tentative, but then giggles and gestures to put the money in his sweatshirt. At that moment, the gas station owner runs out in the front of the store. What did I say about you stooping here, Pete? Get the hell away. Pete immediately runs off stage uh, as Mike is left looking shocked. Uh, I'm sorry about that, sir. Huh. Is that mustard yellow? I'll fill it up. and Don't worry. I'll take it slow. Owner slowly begins to unbutton his pants and belt, pulling them down as Rocketman by Elton John begins to play. Fade out. Are you a fan of sketch comedy like Monty Python, Key and Peele, and Saturday Night Live? Have you ever wondered why their sketches are funny? Or maybe why that certain sketch didn't make you laugh. 
On the comedy podcast Sketch Nerds, we aim to answer those questions while having fun talking about the history and craft of sketch comedy. Every episode features a guest to help us break down our favorite sketches, as well as those submitted by listeners like you. So come nerd out with us and listen to Sketch Nerds at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds. My name is Samantha Russell. I'm a sketch comedian, and I have a prop and costume hoarding problem. So I figured the best way to get it under control is to start a podcast. On Should I Keep This? I chat with other comedians about their experiences in comedy and our insane prop and costume collections. And on each episode, we both bring a beloved item to discuss whether it's a treasure or just trash. Sometimes it turns out no matter how much money or time we spent on a prop, the only thing we should be holding on to are the memories we've made along the way. So check out Should I Keep This? We have new episodes every two weeks available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey, Bobby. Hey, Josh. Uh, so tell me about this sketch. Tell me about this weirdo at the, <laughs> at the gas station. Yeah. Uh, so this was, I do believe, actually, the first sketch that I ever wrote. Um, it was for class, and we were just tasked with writing a uh receptionist shopkeeper you know two people three people on stage interacting and i didn't necessarily know structure or you know game or anything like that but um i had recently been to new jersey where they do pump your gas yeah and i was like this is funny i grew up in the midwest and uh i you know we we pump our own gas but we didn't have attendance and i was like well it'd be really funny if someone was really into pumping gas. Like they enjoyed their job. Uh, when I was in New Jersey, getting my gas pumped, people didn't necessarily seem as happy to be pumping my gas as you know, right. as Pete they, is in this sketch. None of the Jersey uh, gas station attendants are happy to be <laughs> gas station attendants. It feels. Yeah. And I think Mike in this uh, of like, wow, uh, there's still gas station attendants. That was kind of my reaction when I, when I pulled up, you know, for to have a gas station attendant fill up my car, I was like, I didn't know this was still a thing. Like, I, I kind of <laughs> picture like old, you know, old in time. I, don't know, I feel like it's something that like, they should put a sign on, like, welcome to New Jersey. I mean, all those like signs at the beginning of the state. Someone's going to pump your gas. It's not <laughs> weird. Yeah. Don't get out of your car. Welcome to New Jersey. They don't like uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I got out of my car and it was a no, no. Just yeah do not exit okay so as we're reading the sketch I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious about one thing at the end of it when mike starts pumping uh you, there's a music cue oh yeah uh, rocket man what was the music that you thought pete would be dancing to oh i did have so that's the yeah, funny thing is i didn't even put it in there but i know so i did perform this once okay i was pete and i did wear a sweatshirt and it wasn't like a thong. It was like a men's dancing. Uh, I don't know. Still too underwear small. Underwear or too something. Tight. Yeah. It was something that like actually the the place I was performing at, the guy was like, you should get this. Like this will be great for the Pete character. <laughs> but uh, it was, oh, now I'm trying to remember the song. I can't remember uh, off the top of my head. Uh, but if I think of it during this, this, this interview I'll, I'll let you know but it was something just kind of more upbeat of like a 70s 80s okay. kind of music um and and then yeah in the end it was like oh the owner though he's gonna take it nice and slow and i liked the beginning of rocket man uh for that okay so you mentioned that you wrote this for a class where was this class i wrote this originally for a class um at dojo okay uh, which is a theater here in dc um, I performed it at a show of a theater called Draft House Comedy um, mm-hmm. that no longer exists. I think they were a, a you know fatality of the pandemic. Um, but Dojo, uh, they have a S one class. Uh, you said you you know yeah um, Brooke Penguin, so you know Murphy McHugh. Yeah. Uh, so he didn't teach that. It was actually Jen Kovach and uh, Mike Bach were the okay. teachers of this class. And how did uh, it go when you read it in the room? I think it went well uh, from what I remember. And I think part of it was the character of Pete and maybe like it was more of a character piece of this kind of weird individual. Um, I do remember like, yeah, I can 
I could even tell you what I would edit on this, but people were like, maybe add more beats. Like you could extend, you know, what, wh why does Pete like, you know, maybe stop the game and Pete can explain why he loves pumping gas or, you know, these different elements. And so that was some of the feedback I got. I don't know if I ever rewrote it. Um, I do think it was just a fun little thing that uh, it was a good entry into it. But I remember I took hours to write because there wasn't direction. It wasn't like, hey, here's what game is. Here's a structure of a sketch. I, I mean, I don't have, <laughs> I don't even have like, you know, uh, exterior gas station along route, you know, whatever. That's uh, fine. You saw some of the, the edits in there. But I remember sitting in my apartment and just being like, okay, I'm supposed to write a sketch. And they sent us some examples of YouTube videos, you know, Key and Peel and, uh, you know, some SNL sketches. And they were like, it's like this. And so I kind of looked at those and I was like, okay, what's a situation? Uh, and they gave advice, like, think of something in your everyday life. Again, that's when it came out to like, okay, I'd recently been to New Jersey gas station attendant. Um, so it was fun. I mean, I, I think the the best piece of like the pat the best pat on the back I got was people like the name the petrol file. That was like the 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 one like redeeming thing of the whole thing. Everyone's like, okay, it's funny. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I don't know if I necessarily want to see you ever perform this, but <laughs> petrophile, good oh, plan yeah. words. You know, first that was off, like a nice a golf. Yeah, first pack. off, now that you say it out loud, I, I get the joke there. But it's also like because <laughs> it didn't occur to me. That's yeah. what it was. Um, but also, that's like the most unuseful positive reinforcement because no one's going to really know the title until like you possibly film it and put it on YouTube or something. Like, yeah, yeah, uh, which probably won't <laughs> ever happen. So, yeah, it was. I mean, there's a reason I think I did it in the, the Draft House show um, because I just wanted to see how it would do, and it didn't do great. You mentioned that yeah. you didn't really rewrite it. So were there any changes between the time of writing it for this class and trying it out at the draft out show? I'm sure there were. I don't remember off the top of my head. I want to say this is actually the version from the draft house show that, okay, that I'm but... looking at it. And, you know, so like actually the mustard yellow, I remember that actually wasn't in the original sketch. And that was someone was like, you should, you should have a descriptor of like, why this car why this thing and and we were talking about you know like who would ever buy the the yellow car at the lot or and, you know kind of like snowballed in this one was like mustard yellow like yeah mustard yellow is a good cars. descriptor yeah I mean, like, and so that was specifics. like an add-on exactly and i think that was actually the first like it registered in my mind of like well this isn't like a joke but people laugh at the concept of mustard yellow not just yellow, but mustard, mustard yellow. yellow. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's kind of like, a, I remember a first instance of being like, oh, yeah, that is funnier. I don't know why it is, but it is funnier. And like, <laughs> it, I I don't, you know, I'm sure it worked in the show of like mustard yellow in the front and then like bringing it in the end. The other yeah. guy's like, hey, get out of here. Wait, is this mustard yellow? Um, so, yeah, it, it was fun. I, I don't think I've ever heard of um, that that shopkeeper shopper kind of dynamic as a assignment in a sketch comedy class before. And I really like it. Do you remember any of the other assignments that you had in that class? Oh yeah. I mean, so that the S one class at dojo and I, I haven't taken every sketch class out there, but, or many for that manner, I have actually done it three times, twice as a student and once as a TA. And it's because the range of sketches that are taught in there. And I believe that the dojo curriculum is like phenomenal. I, it's it's something I wish I could have like printed out on my mirror every morning and read and be like, this is how you should write sketch. Because you start with blackouts, like the simplest thing, write three blackouts, one of which is, you know, a runner. And then you learn about reception shopkeepers, you learn about parodies, game shows, uh you know how to write um a talk show uh you would learn commercials and these different uh you know pieces over time and so you know through your eight-week class you've learned okay 
theoretically you could make pet the petrol file a game show somehow you could like maybe yeah. you take that character and now that character is actually the host of a game show that's at a gas station and so we didn't do that but it's kind of the way that your mind works and and many times over the years i've actually started writing a sketch and i'm like you know what I'm struggling with this. I think this would actually work better as a commercial, even though I'm trying to push it as a talk show or a game show or these different. And so that was great. I mean, at, at the end of that class, I had, you know, six, I wouldn't say solid sketches because we didn't, we did rewrites one week. So you could rewrite uh, one of them or many, but like mainly everyone just did one. And uh, I don't think I did this one, but it was, you know, it, it, it was just fun all around, I should say. Yeah, and I, like I mean, you took you say you took that sketch one class multiple times. I did the one level of sketch up here and fell like, multiple times. Like almost yeah. as like like I mentioned to you before, we got that, that there was a part in my comedy life where I took a break, so I decided to take that that uh, that sketch level again as like a good refresher, get juices pumping again, and like I would really recommend it, especially when you have, mm-hmm. um instructors that you have learned from and trusted and know that they know what they're doing i'm i'm certainly not against like repeating it's not like failing high school biology it's yeah (laughs) it's just getting more reps in for sure yeah i think we all need refreshers on the fundamentals and that's like like remind yourself like here's the here's the you know pieces that build up any kind of sketch or um i think you learn something new every time and so i think i can go for it i mean i haven't done a ton of improv but i'm sure improv classes like you know the l1 l2s of the world um if you just took them once a year you'd probably learn something new every time or be like you know, these little bits and pieces because the people who are teaching them are so experienced that sometimes you know they have a slip where they're saying maybe it's not even the curriculum for an, an l1 improv class and like well think about it this way and that like really clicks with you like oh that makes sense now because i've done improv for a year i've done sketch for a year um oh, i've enjoyed it i mean i'll probably take it again at some point if, if murph <laughs> offers it he still does offer classes uh online so shout out to murph so when i moved to dc uh i should now we're getting like my background but i moved from chicago and i had never done comedy or anything before i had ingested a lot i mean that's wild i mean no one's gonna see this you're wearing a cubs cat (laughs) so you're coming from chicago which is historically one of america's comedy hotbeds yeah yeah did Um, you so let's let's start let's start there like okay did you take advantage of the scene in Chicago, like as a, even as a kid growing up, did you see anything? Did you ever like go to Second City or the IO mm-hmm. or any of those things? Yeah. So, so I actually grew up in in Indiana, just north of Indianapolis. Um, I should say that. And then okay. I went to school at Loyola University in Chicago, um, which is on like the north side of Chicago. And then I lived there after I graduated from Loyola. I still lived in Chicago for a few years afterwards. Um, Still plenty of but, time to get involved in Chicago. And and I was, I should say, so freshman year uh, at Loyola, uh, one of the first friends I met was a guy named George C. Owens, who he had started in the Second City curriculum in like the summer before freshman year of college because he knew he this is what he wants to do. And I had never, I didn't know that like you could, I didn't know of Second City. I didn't know of I.O., I didn't know like how someone started and eventually got to SNL or, you know, wherever I just assumed people were funny and maybe did stand up. Like stand up was the only thing I, I kind of understood as like, far as like working your way up because you know, whatever I watched Seinfeld growing up and I'd see his little, you know, his rise in the show. So you had Um, like no real like idea of improv or sketch comedy as a fan growing up then. I mean, so I watched, I watched sketch, uh, okay. and I knew of but it, you, but, but you didn't realize that there were like little outposts throughout the country. Yeah. Like theaters yeah, actually I mean, doing it live and in person and mm-hmm. teaching people how to do it. Okay. Yeah. So when I met my friend George, he was like, oh, I'm, I'm here in Chicago. Like I, you know, like we were 
again, good, good friends and still are, um, you know, through Loyola, we lived with each other after school, like after we graduated and he was kind of my connection into the scene. Like I had probably seen hundreds of his shows in Chicago at, you know, uh, Annoyance or IO or Second City, like wherever he was doing stuff, our friend group would always go see George because like we knew it'd be a fun night that, you know, have a few drinks. Maybe it was at some bar even that we'd never, we, we hadn't heard of. Um, and we, we kind of all revolved around him because I mean, one, he, he was super fun and talented. Um, and he had, a an improv group on campus at Loyola called the 45 Kings. They had a show every Friday night. So like we'd go to the 45 Kings show as a group. Um, and that's what really kind of like, I've, I've seen and ingested a ton of comedy, especially mm. in Chicago, but I never had a desire necessarily to write or perform anything. Um, I think cause I was focused on school, you know, I was like, it was like, get your job. You know, I, I, I studied physics in, in undergrad and like, oh, geez, I, yeah, I didn't do well in physics. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I realized with physics, this is a funny thing. And I hope, one day my parents will hear this, but they probably never will. So I realized with physics, if I brought home a physics C, like if I got a C in a physics class, it was like an A. My mm. parents like weren't disappointed. But if I brought home like a C in like, I don't know, a class that was non-physics or non-science, they were disappointed. And I realized that in like my first semester of physics. And I was like, oh, interesting. I like didn't do that great. But like, you know, they you know, they're kind of weighing these classes like my, my professors do. And so it was like, well, I can get a STEM degree. And like, I'm, I've always been interested in science and I don't know what I want to do. So it was just like, yeah, this, this makes sense. I can do four years of this. Um, and I was fine. It was like a, it was like a, you know, 3.2 average GPA student that could never do anything in physics. I couldn't tell you one thing now, but it got me a job. So so you're not necessarily yeah. going to be the one that's going to be building my bridges, like, <laughs> or are you? <laughs> no, I just, oh God. Uh, yeah, definitely couldn't, couldn't do any of that. Um, but yeah, I think, so I remember I did, I should say I did one show ever in Chicago Okay. and it wasn't sketch. It wasn't improv at, at IO. Uh, there was a comedian, I think Catherine Savage, I might've. I might have messed up her last name, but uh, she put on a show called Cherry that you would get a premise three weeks out and it would be like my first blank. So it could be like my first sporting event or my first whatever. And then you would write whatever you want. So it could be happy. It could be sad. It could be a comedy piece. And my friend George did it. And I went and saw his show and I was like, wow, that was really fun. A few weeks after we were at a bar and Catherine was there and I was. I was kind of jokingly saying to George, I was like, Ooh, like throw me in that next slot or, you know, and I think maybe there was a desire to do that as well, but I was like, that's, that's something that, cause it was storytelling. It was like stand up, yeah. but structured. And, and she was like, yeah, why not do it? Um, so I wrote, it was, I get the premise and it was my first freak out and of like time I, you know, freaked out in my life. And I wrote a, a piece that was a true story about when I was a kid, my two older brothers, and they would like continuously like pick on me uh, as brothers do. And my first time, like I fought back, I like jumped on one of their backs and like bit them. Uh, but it happened to be in the bathroom in our house. So I was like, <laughs> we were like wrestling around. Like I was playing on the toilet with toys, not using the toilet, but like I used it as like a, a toy throne. And they were like, hey, I need to use the bathroom. And I was like, no. You know, that was like my stand of, <laughs> up to them. I was like, my bathroom. And I was five or six years old and I bit him on the back. Um, I'm still laughing at Toy Throne. Like, that's a great, <laughs> that's a great phrase. Everyone's got to have a Toy Throne. Yeah. I mean, you meant, you mentioned uh, watching Seinfeld growing up. What were you into? What was your comedy fandom? Like, what did you like? Oh, man. Yeah. I, a lot of it was whatever my older siblings were watching. I'm the youngest of, four and so i didn't necessarily have the ability to turn you, the remote you didn't have the control i didn't um so like seinfeld was a product of my oldest brother jimmy he loved seinfeld he owned like the the nine dvd box set 
you know, right when it came out and he would just watch it continuously and I would watch it with him. And my parents would let me, um, there's a lot of stuff I wasn't allowed to watch. I wasn't allowed to watch the Simpsons. I wasn't allowed to watch South park. How are you? Uh, now? How are you not allowed to watch Simpsons, but Seinfeld's okay. I don't get it. I think there was a connotation that adult animation was just bad. Like I, uh, there was, like I, understand I think there was South a, park, a straight, for sure. Yeah. Whatever, because I wasn't allowed to watch Simpsons for a while as a kid. And right. like looking back, Simpsons is way tamer and way more yeah. like family family friendly than you know, even Family Guy was. And I think it's that's true of like Seinfeld too, because Seinfeld gets into mm-hmm. like the idea of the um master of your domain. Yeah, yeah. I guess because you don't know what they're talking, because I had no clue what they were talking about until I was yeah. like until it occurred to me, like as a late teenager, I was like, "Oh, oh, that's what that's about." Okay, like, <laughs> so yeah, I don't understand when people aren't allowed to watch Simpsons, but Seinfeld's okay. But yeah, anyway, no, I, 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 I kind of get it from where my parents were coming from. They were just like making, but like Family Guy wasn't off limits. But I don't think my parents knew about Family Guy, and it was also, I think, I watched a lot of it on TBS maybe growing up, and like TBS. I think was like, it was like, you're good to watch TBS. It kind of was channel based. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, I would sneak, like I would sneak episodes of South park in, you know, if my friends were over, we'd be in the basement and you'd like an episode of South park would be on, which they would love it. Cause a lot of them could watch it at home too. I would just anxiety the whole time, like looking over my shoulder, seeing if my parents <laughs> were coming down the steps being like, Oh God. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was also what my parents watched too. They loved it felt like the classic sitcoms, like everybody loves Raymond or King of Queens. My dad loves Kevin James. Like if there's one person that can make my dad laugh, it's Kevin James. And, and I think that was one of those things where it's like, okay, my dad likes it. I kind of, I like it. I like watching this. Um, and then, you know, I, I would find my own little kind of pockets of, I remember the first SNL thing I ever saw wasn't SNL. It was the best of Will Ferrell SNL DVDs, volume one and two. They were and I huge. bought it. Yeah. I mean, it was, I bought it for Christmas with you know money that I got from my grandma or something. And uh, it wasn't in an R movie, you know, like it, but it was, it was adult humor in yeah. a way. And I remember the dissing your dog sketch was like the first thing I was just like, Oh man, like this is, <laughs> Unbelievable! Like I had to, like you know, I couldn't send it to a friend, but like when my friends would come over, I'd pop in the DVD. I'm like, look at this! This is phenomenal. It's, it's wild to think that, like, because I start watching SNL at the right at the beginning of that like home video, where they realize like, hey, we have all the stuff that we can put on videos and sell to people. Let's do that! Like, because mm-hmm. I think it really started when, unfortunately, when Chris Farley and Phil Harmon died. Like they had made best dubs for those two, mm. and and then they put them, you know they put them on the air, and I think they did really well ratings wise. So they're like, oh, we have got twenty five years of back stuff of all these famous people. Yeah. Let's just start digging out and editing together and and seeing what happens. And and then eventually, like Will Ferrell and Jimmy Fallon get multiple discs and everything. Like it, it's wild to think that like you know that home video boom probably did help like people see more of SNL than they did previously or discover it for, at least for you. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I wasn't staying up late as a, as a kid on Saturdays watching TV. Uh, I, when I was, you know, especially when I was younger at my, you know, my parents wouldn't let me stay up late anyway. So there was no chance that I could watch like a live episode, but I remember my friend, uh, when I was growing up, I showed him the DVD of Will Ferrell and he had it too. And that was like an instant connection. Cause like, it wasn't the one, like we knew all of them. And actually I think in eighth grade, we, uh, there was, I think it was with Will Ferrell and maybe Sherry O'Terry did like a, a cheerleading sketch at yeah. a chess competition. Yeah. The Spartans. Um, yeah. And so we acted that out for a talent show, but, no context of the chess competition. We just did the dancing part and we didn't even have the right music. So we put it over to the end of the world as we know it. (laughs) (laughs) It did the dancing and the, the person in seventh or eighth grade, the music director was like, so interesting. Who decided on the 
choreography for this and we kind of <laughs> were like we both pointed at each other and like gave a thumbs up it's like i'll let you know and we didn't get into that talent show um because i remember someone similar happened to me where uh, a couple of, like the counselors at the church camp i went to as a kid did mm-hmm. one of the other cheerleader sketches the one that jim carrey was the third person in and apparently in that in that one uh jim Car- jim carrey's on like diet pills so he's got like that a really like upper energy to him. Yeah, yeah. And they still did this at the church camp. So <laughs> like almost verbatim, totally yeah. like skipping over the you know the drug abuse part of it. Uh it sounds like a fun church camp. I, <laughs> I I grew up I grew up in the Catholic Church and they would not have done that, at least at my church. Uh, when it rains, it's skit night. So <laughs> at that camp. Yeah. So you're just funny. trying to remember what's what you can do. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so you mentioned about doing, you know, only doing that one thing in Chicago, and then you moved mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, life takes you to Washington D.C. Yeah, what prompts you to take a writing class? Like, wh- what's that aha moment of finally just doing it? Yeah, I mean, so I move, I moved out here from my then girlfriend, now wife. Um, so good move. It worked out, you know. Mm. Uh, <laughs> And uh, she's going to school here at, at American University, um, and I knew I eventually wanted to move out here with her. And so when I found a job, you know, I kind of just packed up my stuff, and I didn't know anyone. And she was really busy with school. I mean, it was like days she was working her internship, at night going to class, or she was, you know, studying. And so I had a lot of time to myself for the first time in a long time because, you know, after Loyola, when I lived in Chicago. I lived with four other guys that I went to Loyola yeah. with, and everyone also from Loyola still lived in Chicago. It was kind of just an extension of college in like, you know, good and bad ways. Yeah. But coming out of, you know, there, it was like, okay, I know no one. Um, it happened actually that my freshman year college roommate was going to med school at Georgetown at the time. So it was like one person, but he's also in med school. So, so he's again, also busy. busy and yeah. Yeah. And so I searched like, uh writers meetup it wasn't even like comedy specific but it was like a writers meetup and a comedy one popped up in dc um that took place at this restaurant that was like in the middle of dc called judy's and i went there two or three times and the premise was like you could bring whatever you want um it was free like they asked you to like you know tip the the waiter or buy something to like contribute to the restaurant but then you could bring you know, stand up or you could bring sketch or whatever and just get feedback and so, i never had anything to bring okay but and someone noticed that and they're like hey have you, have you done this before and i was like no not really and they said you should take a class there's a guy called you know named murphy McHugh here and he runs a great class look for dojo and so they pointed me to dojo i signed up for the first class i could and then it kind of just you know from there it was like oh this this is fun this is a good hobby um i can do this and i was meeting people and like you know people that had similar interests and comedic you know time interests that that i do i'm curious you say that like i mean you went to school and for physics you got you have a stem Mm -hmm. education what was it about a writer's meetup that 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 was what you were searching for Mm -hmm. um I think it's because it exercises the other part of my brain, like, you know, all day. And even now my job now is is very data and and quant heavy, Uh, which is, I mean, I like, I like that work, but when I come home, the last thing I want to do is more of that. And I think too, in like the data world, like answers are right and wrong. It's like, if someone asked me, you know, whatever, how many miles it is down to the white house, there's a, direct answer but if someone asked me to write a sketch about someone riding a bike down to the white house there's not a right or wrong answer it's what i think's fun and funny at the time and there's a thousand ways to write it uh that's i think what fascinates me is there's times where i've seen someone have a premise that is similar to something else that are completely different sketches um that you know the characters or it like just takes different turns and and that's why it you know i think the creative freedom really interests me and it it's also like 
it's a little uh, exhausting sometimes when you're just sitting there and trying to write and you're like, oh my gosh, nothing's happening. But other times you knock out a sketch in 30 minutes and you're like, yeah, that yeah. that's fun. You know, <laughs> it's just, it's wild to me to think that like, you know, in a new city, you have, you know, your partner and a buddy from college that are both too busy to hang out with you. Like, why do you go to something that requires homework instead of like joining a dodgeball league or, you know, one of those yeah. things it's, it's so wild. And like, it definitely de- will speak to your wiring of like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, this is something that I thought was cool and wanted to do. So let's do it. Yeah. I think I've always been, so I should say I've always been interested in like performing uh, when, when I was in high school, me and a few friends had like a, a crappy punk band that we'd perform in we weren't good at music but there was like an element to like standing on stage and like having the mic or playing by an instrument and jumping out in a crowd or like any of that like there was it was a show in itself like we again we weren't good but like we eventually played at prom senior year for no reason besides that like people just liked watching us again act stupid on stage um were you the I only entertainment for prom that year there was a dj okay. uh but we got to play i think like 30 minutes and no original songs we played we played everything from like black and yellow you know by wiz to are you gonna be my girl by jet to a blink one a two song so it was all over the place because i just the, the the thought of like having like a punk band or a pop punk or even a pop punk band as your like entertainment at the prom just doesn't feel prom to me. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I've never gotten a good read if people enjoyed it or not, but that was also the thing, like we didn't care. Um, and there was a feeling of when you perform, when I performed in, you know, the band in high school, you'd come off the stage and there was like, there's a high to performing to where people yeah. are excited that, you've never felt nor can you explain to someone and like flash forward to that show i did at io cherry i had felt i felt that again when i came off that stage and people enjoyed the sh- you know the show i did at io and i think i was like ooh, I-, I need to chase this feeling um which you know that show was writing in in its core it was just like storytelling and so i think that's where I, I kept being like, okay, I, here's something that I'm at least going to try out and it might work and it might not. You're now in the class, mm-hmm. um, meeting people and, you know, I don't want to call you a dork, but other comedy dorks, other comedy yeah. nerds, like, <laughs> you know, that, that magic of when you get a group of people that all like the same thing in the same room for a first time, it's a pretty cool feeling too. Like, yeah. So, and you mentioned you had done the class a couple times. What's your next step in this evolution as a, a comedy person for you? So, yeah, I mean, the some of the other dorks I, I hung out with, well, <laughs> one of them is uh, Elizabeth Leff, who I eventually formed lots of feelings with. So we met each other in the S1 class at Dojo um, that Jen Kovach and Mike Bach taught. And then... Uh, Murphy McHugh was teaching the same class, like, you know, maybe a few months later. And we were like, well, they, they need some bodies in the class. And, uh, we were like, let's take it again together, um, with Murphy now, uh, you know, just see like what it's like. And I think there was, you know, it's one of those things I learned of like, I learned the class twice in two different ways from two great teachers yeah, um, so how does that go having those two different like point or maybe even three since the one was jen and, yeah. and mike together versus yeah. mike like how was it seeing that same setup through two different pointers of view like you had yeah i think i was really nervous in the first one with jen and mike and i was nervous to be the first one to volunteer to read mine every week i was nervous to write anything that i thought wasn't funny i was trying to write funny which never works you can't you can't write stuff like you can't write for the audience you have to write for yourself and eventually i think comes together and so i think i was more reserved but i learned so much in the first class of like here's how you do it 
in the second class, I think I got more feedback because I was writing as more of my true self mm. of, okay, let's not hold back. You've done this. You know that this week's blackouts and the next week's a commercial and the next week's this. And like, you know, what's coming. So there's no surprises. So I could, I was almost like thinking a step or two ahead each week when I was writing and, and I think that just gave me more confidence to come in and to write more of what I, I was in my heart and not saying it was good. Like I'm sure there were sketches from the first class that I took that, you know, were more quality than the second and vice versa, but I definitely enjoyed it more because I got out of that mode of being scared to write, you know, write down like what I actually wanted to. Yeah, a little confidence is a great thing sometimes. Like, um, you know, that ability to like step back and like breathe. I've I've done this before. I can I can handle it again. Roughly, when was this class like that you first did? That was the summer of twenty nineteen. Okay, and so we had done the second one maybe in the fall of twenty nineteen, Elizabeth and I, and then by October. October-ish of 2019, anyone who in that year at Dojo had done classes could put on a show together for the holidays. So Interesting. Okay. Have a Halloween show. Uh, there was one that then it was around the end of the year, you know, for the holidays. And then there, the next one would be in February. And so we did the October show and it actually happened to be with very talented comedians here in dc they weren't people who had just been starting out like elizabeth and i there's a few people who had been in the scene a while who just want to get into sketch they were pretty seasoned improv individuals and they wrote a fantastic show that like elizabeth and i were like just part of like i wrote one sketch for it <laughs> uh elizabeth i think wrote one or two and but they wrote an hour-long show with a through line and that was like the first big performing i had done um, cause we didn't perform after the S1 classes for dojo. And, and I remember we did like, a, I think it was a Thursday to Friday to Saturday. And then the next weekend, a Thursday to like, we did a two weekend run Yeah, and we sold out and people loved it. And, and people actually were like genuine being like, I loved your sketch. Uh, and that was like a clicking moment. And especially for Elizabeth and I, um, we had wrote a sketch together for that, that we both performed in and it was fun. Like it was just pure joy and fun. It, it was stressful memorizing lines and, you know, being in six sketches and, you know, cause we did it in three weeks. Okay. I think I was but, about to ask, like, were you in other things other than the stuff that you had written, but yeah, being in six sketches like that, like I remember the first time that I did a show like that uh, up here in Philadelphia, we had a show where Kevin Allison of the state, came down to be our like teacher director and there was like 11 of us all of us got like sketches in the thing and there was a part of me i was like i want to be in this as, as little as possible because i don't want to screw up other people's work so like yeah. i played a guy who dies immediately i play a, like a voice like on the god <laughs> mic backstage where yeah. i could just read it off the script to make sure i was getting it right like mm. and then i I don't even think I was in my own thing that I wrote because I didn't like it very much. So I was kind of like, just <laughs> let's just get it, let's just get it over with and just keep going. <laughs> like, um, oh, I love that. So how was uh, it to perform other people's work and like get that get that going for yourself? It was tough. It was different. I remember someone wrote a really funny um, sketch because it was holiday and there was a Ouija board, and uh, I was almost playing like uh the non-ridiculous character in the sketch and it was hard to not try to make it funny of like in a yeah. way i kind of just had to be like hey everyone like it's a ouija board like just move it and it, it was acting which like i never i did a you know a play or two in grade school and stuff but i had never acted before and so like memorizing lines i like i was like i don't want to mess up this person's sketch they work so hard on it i was you know killing myself on trying to memorize these lines which turned out to be easier than i thought it would like yeah i thought i would never be able to but then it's iterations you know it's just like listening to a song over and over again yep. and it eventually clicks and you're like oh they said that and now my brain my brain says i need to say this um so it was yeah it was fun again like i 
I, I got so much more out of it than I thought I would. I was, I didn't want to tell anyone I was doing it in DC. I didn't want to advertise even to like, you know, like my wife, like I, I wasn't really like telling her exactly what I was doing. I just be like, Hey, I'm going to go write some sketch with people. And then eventually I was like, also, there's a show. Also, I'm in the show. Also, I wrote a sketch that I'm in and I'm in other people's and it's an hour. And if you want to invite someone, you can't, you know, it was kind of like one thing after another. Um, how did she, and, t- did she go? How did she take it? She's, I mean, she's super supportive and okay. uh, she went and she loved it. And that's, you know, it, it's just who she is. Uh, she was kind of, I remember she was, she didn't know what to expect. Uh, yeah. And afterwards she was like, you know, kind of looked at me. I was like, what the heck? Like, this is what you've been doing. Who this is this a lot. This is been for a while. <laughs> she was like, you've been downplaying this. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Uh, I know that was a, more than you expected. Um, but it was fun. I mean, even like the, so Murph uh, directed the whole thing, you know, was helping us and, and, and being hands off and hands on, he'd be like, okay, like you do your show as, as the group, but like giving really brilliant insights here and there yeah. of what to do. And I picked up so much from his direction of, I remember even someone was like, well, I'm going to just have a clipboard on stage and I'm going to keep the script on the clipboard. Nope, and do that. he was like, don't do, if you use a crutch, you're going to use the crutch. And he's like, don't people will know it will make it worse. And my instinct wouldn't have been to say that it would be like, no, you should have it there in case you forget it. But he was right. Like, yeah. it's just plain, right. I remember, I remember people in other, you know, sketch shows reading off it and you're like, oh, I can just, I can tell, you I can tell you the lines yep. and I'm, I'm disappointed. I, you know, I, I spent $5 on this ticket. I want you to memorize your lines <laughs> or flub them like I have in the past. Uh, you and Elizabeth like strike up this, this creative friendship, creative partnership mm-hmm. and get to do a couple shows. And if my math is correct, then the world ends <laughs> and things stop for a while. And I hate we to did like, the, yeah, we did the February I, show and then it was done. Yeah. So, and I hate to act, act like this, but like, we've all went through this awful time. So I do have to ask, like, what was your comedy world like now that it's shattered with the pandemic? Like, what did you do anything to keep going? I tried. So I was open to what people would offer and what people would offer, um, like Dojo was offering, okay, uh, you know, Murph was like, let's spin up this um, talk show called, uh, I think it was Midweek Tonight, that he, and he was the host and he was doing it from his basement. And he was like, who wants to be a writer? And like a bunch of people raised their hand. And so like, I was writing like monologue jokes or, you know, whatever I could for this, which again, didn't really know how to do. I remember yeah. I bought a book on like, I think <laughs> there's a famous book of like late night writing. I forget yeah. the the author, but you, you would recognize it. Uh, and I was like reading that. I was like, okay. And so we did a few of those. It kind of scratched the itch, but like I missed performing. So then we were going to do the next holiday show, which I think was Mother's Day or Easter. I forget which one we tried to do. And we did it on Zoom. And I mean, it was, I did not enjoy it. Yeah. I enjoyed the writing process, but performing on felt Zoom like such is, a chore. Is, is weird for sure. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, really after that, I decided to consume as much comedy as I can because I didn't know how long this was going to go. And so I went and kind of looked in the far reaches of my life and been like, okay, what haven't I, what haven't I watched that I wanted to? So like, uh, the Larry Sanders show was something that I'd always wanted to watch. Uh, and I was started doing that or like last man on earth with Will Forte was on my list. Or that, that, that show is so good and no like and it, it so kind of annoys good. me that it's like almost forgotten about already like yeah i love it's, that show it, and the way it ends i mean i won't say it for anyone who hasn't you know watched it but big disappointment you're gonna be the most disappointed you've been like in this show that kind of like cliffhanger or the hope of the next season and like oh yeah no you're not getting one so you're stuck yeah. there. Like it's, it's so bad. So annoying. I agree. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I so I then there were some classes that started coming out online. Um, Dojo offered an L1 uh, improv class online that I took. Improv was tough online. So actually, eventually, when uh, he started teaching that in person again, which was sometime in 21, um, it was kind of masked up and a little bit like, you know, what are we doing here? You know, show your, your vax cards. But I did that, which was a good way to kind of dip my toes back in. And then at the, I can't even remember, like when Elizabeth and I stayed in touch, she actually moved up to Lake Placid, where she's from, um, during the pandemic. And we'd stay in touch. We'd kind of pitch ideas now and then to each other, write a little thing. Um, Because we always, again, you know, had enjoyed each other's comedic styles. And she was writing some pilots for class at the time. I did a, a live read of one of those. and. You know, one thing kind of led to another throughout the pandemic, and she had come into town for this is maybe a year ago or so. She'd come into town for um, to do stand up, and I met, walked, went to her show, and afterwards, uh, Erica Cunha was like, Hey, uh, Bobby, do you want to do 30 minutes like months from now at a theater? And I was like, Yeah. And he's like, Cool bring whoever you want, do whatever you want. But like, you know, we just got inside talking. I immediately turned to Elizabeth and I was like, we have 30 minutes out of theater. Uh, <laughs> and she was like, wait, what? And, but she then was like, yes, 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 yes. What are we doing? Like, let's, let's write, let's do this. Like jumped right on board. Um, and we had, we're like, should we, you know, open it up to other people? Should it just be us two? And we were like, you know, let's, let's try to write a two person show. We had always written, with six, eight more people for the dojo shows. And then it was like the most fun thing that we had done in a while, stressful, but it was fun. Like it was 30 minutes of pure sketch. And that's what formed lots of feelings, which now we've had a handful of shows under our belt. Um, and, and now, you know, hopefully more to come. So is she still in Lake Placid? She still is in Lake Placid. Um, so, so, what we, so what's it like working with somebody long distance like that? You know, I think it's it can be challenging when a show's approaching because maybe you get more reps in person and like work out a few more things. Yeah. But overall, it you know, I think we have a good working relationship. Um, you know, we're also just good friends outside of comedy and everything. So because of that, it 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 works. Like we we have once a week where we meet up and um, sometimes, you know, that date has to move around or whatever, but uh, you can write and pitch and edit each other on zoom pretty much the same as you could in person. The, the tough part is, you know, if there's a show coming up and uh, I owe her many, many favors for doing this, but she'll always drive down from Lake Placid for our, our DC shows. Then it's like, it's like hit the ground running. We have, three and a half days to practice as much as we can work out any other kinks, rewrite, rewrite, rewrite of all like, cause there's things when you're acting that you didn't realize in when you're writing. And that's like the first night we always are, okay, here's the full show script. It's like edits are just everywhere. Yeah. Um, you, you that's can, part of the process. You can read stuff together and like the dialogue makes sense but when you actually get up on and then even like rehearsing over zoom you can Mm -hmm. start memorizing your lines but once you get like that physical like within the physical space and and working together with how you're moving things are going to change too so like those last couple days probably when you do finally get together to rehearse in person i do imagine that those like those last couple days last couple hours are going to be like oh my gosh we got to fix this we got to change this we got to change like we got to do all this like (sighs) (laughs) that that sound you just made i think it describes it it's just like a oh god um but i mean at that point we've read each other's sketches that we're going to perform so many times that it's not even like we're laughing anymore we're we're like exhausted we're just like oh the show's coming we want to be good is it going to be good no one's like seen our stuff either for the most part, you know, we haven't done like a dry run in front of anyone. This is our dry run. And, uh, but then little things start to tease themselves out over the night or two that we're rehearsing. 
um, and you start to laugh and then you do the show and it's great and you get whatever laughs or you you get or more silence that you get which silence makes me laugh i think even more <laughs> um and it's fun and then like i'm like great when's the next one so now you just have to like get it where you're not just doing shows in dc you actually have to start going up to new york to like do your part yeah. of the traveling for it. i'm open actually uh so we were just uh, talking today about uh where should next be out of dc and we were looking at Fringe in Edinburgh. We were looking at, uh, you know, talking about, you know, other sketch fests such as Philly or, or whatnot. And it's, I think, you know, the, the DC crowd has been really generous to us, um, offering, you know, space, uh, people, people who want to consume comedy here go to shows and like they're great crowds. But yeah, I think a Lake Placid crowd would maybe be a different makeup of people that I would love to throw you know, so See how it goes. I think the pet the petrophile would hit different in DC. <laughs> We've never performed it. I don't think we will, but that's a good example of one that maybe would would be different. Um, which is good. I want I want to know both sides of it, and like I want to create content that everyone would love. Learn how different audiences react to different things for sure. How would you describe a lots of feelings show? It is a mix of uh, both our personalities. Like we we vibe off each other's comedic interest but we write in you know different ways too um elizabeth's a very talented musician and she'll write a lot of musical comedy that's something that if like i was doing on my own i wouldn't do and so in the past few shows we've started everything with like a musical sketch sometimes it's just a straight song uh the last show we did was a runner um but i would say that because of the you know interest that we both have and the people that we are we offer like a pretty wide range of different kinds of sketches with different perspectives. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's the lots of feelings. Some of the feelings are fear, <laughs> laughter. Uh, I think we, you know, we always say, well, we'll make your eyes moist in, in one way or another, happy or sad. So <laughs> I ask everybody and I probably should have asked him when we were talking about the Will Ferrell DVDs. Um, mm -hmm. Although that might've tipped who the, answer would be but uh who's your favorite snl cast member of all time so i mean it's i'm sure you get answers all the time like this but it is tough um all time and i would say will ferrell's up there because of his he's the first but i really enjoy uh will forte and some of the characters he's been in throughout the years um you know the first time i saw mcgruber the movie and i was like oh this is based off of sketches I went and looked up the MacGruber sketches and it's like, this is my comedy. Um, you know, the, he had the spelling bee one that he's done with, uh, I think it was Jack Black, um, where he just keeps repeating Q. He's yeah. spelling, you know, a, a word. And those, I, you know, I think those are the ones I've probably shown a lot of people as well. Um, you know, Tina Fey is huge, um, as well as Bill Hader. Uh, I think it kind of depends also on like the time in my life and what I've watched. Uh, I've consumed a lot of, of Barry recently. So mm. I've watched more of old Bill Hader SNL as well. Uh, if I'm on like, you know, some other show binge, if I'm watching Parks and Rec, then I'm, you know, probably going back and watching Amy Poehler stuff. And then, you know, that's, that's the moment that I'm in. So um, a lot of talented people. And even now, uh, some of the, the sketches that have come out in the past few years, like I, I've loved, uh, you know, Cecily Strong, Beck Bennett. Um, they've just been some good cast members in recent years that uh, I've really, you know, I, again, I've shared their sketches around of like this. It's not necessarily the writing, but it's also like the acting within there. I think it's hand in hand. Yeah, I don't buy that opinion that every time, like every once in a while, there's a dead season, like a bad season. And I was like, no, you're just no. not watching. Like either either you're outgrowing it because that's a thing for sure. Like mm. it's very easy to outgrow comedy. But I always say in every episode, there's one good nugget of just that makes me laugh for five minutes. And mm -hmm. I can't say that for every sitcom either. So I'll take it like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and Cecily Strong, like, 
her leaving is going to be a thing. I think. I, I yeah. What, she's she's been one of my favorites of the last of the the recent cast, so she's gonna be missed. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's one of those things where sometimes you don't realize the void until they're gone, and then you're like, you know, a new cast member comes in, and you're like, oh, that would be a role that Cecily would have done. Right, right, but right. They're right. still doing great, but like, you know, there's just those characters. Um, and I don't know, I, I'm curious where SNL goes. You know, people people say it'll end at 50 years because 50 sounds right, or you know, it'll go forever. Or I've heard, you know it'll kind of be a late night thing. So like, you know, when, when Carson left late night and then there was five new late nights and now that's yeah. how we've lived. It's like, you know, SNL ends. It'll still, you know, with the modern era of Lauren Michaels leaves, there'll be a new Lauren Michaels, but then there'll be factions of, of SNL that kind of pop up. Uh, I don't know if that's true though, because cable is dead. <laughs> like oh, TV, like, you know? Yeah. Like it's, it's crazy. And it's also crazy to me that like, when I see the numbers that SNL still gets, they're still really solid numbers compared to everything else on yeah. TV. So I always had the theory that uh, Lauren would leave at 50. Mm-hmm. But then I thought Seth Meyers was going to take it over. Like, that's what I thought. Like, I, I made the joke that yeah. they ju- they're just holding him at 1230 every weeknight just to keep him there for when he's needed on SNL again. But I think yeah. he did an interview recently. He's like, no, that's not a thing for me. Like, I, I can't handle that schedule. So, I mean... I, I don't I think SNL will continue. It'll be interesting to see who takes over. Um, I think, yeah, I, I don't think they'll do a clean cut of like if and when Lauren leaves, they won't be like, and it's done because like right. they can't. They have to try someone else out because they did it when he was young. He left the show and they tried someone else out. They picked they picked entirely mm-hmm. the wrong person <laughs> and had to course correct. And it took years to recover. But mm-hmm. um. So as we as we're winding down, we get a little deeper. Um, you talked about a couple of these things already, but you know, just to crystallize and make everything clear, you know, you take you you said you taken a ton of classes through Dojo, and so what's a piece of advice that you would give to a new sketch writer? I I would encourage them to uh, if they're writing to be like structured in their writing. So set uh, a timer and write anything that comes to your mind for like 20 minutes and then go back uh, and edit it for 10 minutes and then take like another 15 minute break. Like it sounds kind of neurotic in a way, but it, it, that is like the most helpful thing I've gotten to get over like a writer's block scenario of like when you're trying to start from scratch. And I think when you're starting from scratch versus when you're editing, like, your eighth draft is two different processes, but that is the hardest barrier to get over. I, I was referencing like the petrophile of, you know, sitting in my apartment in DC for hours to yeah. write this three page monstrosity. And I wish someone would just told me like, write what's on your mind. You can always go back and edit. It's draft one of at least, you know, eight or whatever, like to get a final sketch, you have to go through so many iterations so much cutting and it can evolve to something that isn't a gas station attendant that loves pus, you know, pumping gas. It can be something that is completely different in the end. And that's okay. You don't have to form to your original idea. Yeah. I, I always fell into that trap of always wanting my first draft to be as perfect as possible. Like, so <laughs> I would never have a, f- a first draft to edit i was always editing as i went and it just took forever so like that's something i definitely learned over the last couple of years uh and then finally i mean you mentioned going to school for physics having a very uh data and quantitative kind of job in the real world why comedy why you have a nine to five in the science world why is comedy your five to bedtime now, like hobby now um I or second career is, if we want to say it that way yeah no it's uh i think it is because it's one of those things that i'm not stressed out about if uh, at night if i have to write a sketch it's not it doesn't feel like a burden 
for the most part, there's definitely times where like, I'm exhausted. I can't do it. I'm burnt out from sketch writing, but it's still a fun hobby that, um, you know, brings me joy. And maybe there's a future where I'm not doing the quantitative stuff at work and I'm doing something more creative. Um, and I would be open to, you know, those opportunities if, if they present themselves to me, you know, I, going back to school and like not even performing in Chicago, it, it was more of like doing what I was told I had to do of like, you mm. go to high school, you get into college, you go to college, you get a degree, you get a degree, you get a job, you get a job, you do whatever the next thing is. And I kind of did that for the first few years. And when I moved to DC, it was like, I don't know if I, if I want to keep doing what I think I should do, like the should thing would have been like, join a, a softball league. Like I'm terrible at softball. <laughs> I don't even enjoy softball. Like but that is the should thing. It's like, go meet people and, and drink and play softball. And it's like, I didn't want to do that. I, like what I wanted to do was this other thing. And so I think it was just a turning point in my life where I said, well, I'm going to follow what I want to do. And that's, that's kind of where I'm at now. Yeah. I mean, then there's really no harm in making people laugh and bringing joy <laughs> to the world. So, you know, yeah. not, not everyone needs to play softball every week. Not everyone. The, the running <laughs> joke that, we, yeah. that we've had for a couple of my friends have been bowling leagues. Like, yeah, we don't need a bowling league. We, we've got this. We're fine. <laughs> to all the softball players out there, you know, I, I love, <laughs> I love you. I want to watch you. you play softball. <laughs> Thank you but for your I service. Wanna, yeah, thank you for. I want to write a sketch about you. So contact <laughs> me. And let me know if you want to be made fun of, uh, and I'll use your real name. <laughs> Thanks, Bobby. Yeah. No, thank you, Josh. I really appreciate this. Bobby, as one half of Lots of Feelings, will be performing along with Amanda Zeller at Bad Medicine Presents this Saturday, March 18th at the DC Improv in the Lounge. Two shows, 7pm, 9.30pm. Tickets are available at dcimprov.com. You can follow Lots of Feelings on Instagram at lofsketch. And I actually talked to Amanda Zeller on the podcast last fall, so if you want to catch up, check out episode 181. Amanda's such a fun solo act, weird in the most wonderful of ways. Sketchy Beta returns to Zoom on Friday, March 24th at 10 p.m. in the East, and the live in-person Sketchy Beta returns to Tattooed Mom here in Philly on Sunday, May 7th at 2 p.m. SketchyBeta.com for all the details on those. My First Sketch is a Philly Sketch Fest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com. Follow Philly Sketch Fest on Instagram at phillysketchfest. The music on this episode is by the band Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like my first sketch on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get the podcast. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Go see some comedy. <laughs>